I need practice. And I, I, <laughs> like, I am a hundred percent serious that you should put lovers, dreamers, and me in this <laughs> intro. For lovers, dreamers, the Old, Old Testament lectionary podcast for lovers, dreamers, <laughs> and to me. quote Kermit the Frog. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, all right. So let's start. Okay. Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for lovers, dreamers, Dreams and, and me. me. <laughs> Kermit the Frog, better known as. Uh, I, however, am Rosie Campbell, a candidate for PhD in Hebrew Bible at Emory University. And I'm Dr. Rachel Wren, ordained Lutheran pastor and assistant professor of biblical studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University. And I'm here too. I'm, I'm Tim McNinch. I'm another PhD candidate at Emory University. We have all three first reading co-hosts together for a party episode. A party episode on uh, the lectionary text for this week, which is, um, well, it's it's somewhere in 1 Samuel 2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, the, the lectionary text is actually 1 Samuel 2, 18 to 20 and 26, which is a little bit, we'll, we'll talk about that. But as we looked at this, we also wanted to focus in on 1 Samuel 2, 1 to 10, which is mm-hmm. the, the poem, the song that Hannah sings. Uh, which yeah. we just couldn't pass by that without devoting a big chunk of this to to talking mm. about that. So yeah, I I mean it was so funny because as I was prepping this text, I was thinking about this is the first Sunday after Christmas, and I don't know about y'all's tradition, but in the Lutheran Church, a lot of times what we do the first Sunday after Christmas is a, a lessons and carols Sunday. So mm. uh, instead of following necessarily the the lectionary, it'll be just some of those favorite Christmas texts and some of those favorite Christmas songs as well that will be interspersed throughout the service. And then there's no real sermon. There might be like a short meditation or homily or that sort of thing. So when I was thinking about this text, I was like, man, this would work perfectly because this is a song. Like, what a great text to have mm. as a meditation text for lessons and carols day because this is kind of one of the you know this is the precursor to to mary's great magnificat i mean there's just so much in this that makes it appropriate for for that christmasy time period yeah but before we get to hannah's song really we should at least say something about the actual lectionary text right which is 18 to 20 and 26 um it's short one can i read it for us real quick yeah so it's just these few verses Um, this is uh, after Samuel's born, of course. He was, and this is, I'm reading from the JPS. Samuel was engaged in the service of the Lord as an attendant, girded with a linen ephod. His mother would also make a little robe for him and bring it up to him every year when she made pilgrimage with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord grant you offspring by this woman in place of the loan that she made to the Lord. Then they would return home. For the Lord took note of Hannah. She conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Young Samuel, meanwhile, grew up in the service of the Lord. And then I guess verse 26 is, uh, Young Samuel, meanwhile, grew in esteem and favor, both with God and with men. (laughs) Which is, of course, a similar way that Jesus is described in Luke after he has his incident at the temple where he is... uh, left behind and enjoys it and then goes home and is obedient to his parents and grows in esteem. Yeah. Yeah. With Mm -hmm. with people and with the Lord. Yeah. So you're saying that, that Luke may have known 
the Old Testament? Luke was a good <laughs> scriptural writer. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a fascinating text. I, I, I mean, I can just dive right in because there were so many things that I was just thinking through as I came uh, and was working on this text a little bit. Uh, so first of all, just a little Hebrew note. Um, I, I always think it's funny when we do so much translating of some things and then other things we just leave in the Hebrew as if we're supposed to just sort of divine what it is. So hmm. a linen ephod. Oh, yeah. What's you an know, ephod? Well, right. Yeah, exactly. It is just a linen cultic garb, um, usually worn by by priests or priestly attendants in this place. So, you know, there's everything special and nothing special about it at the same time. It's, kind it's, of the, it's the uniform. The uniform, exactly. Of, of a priest. Yeah. 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 I was more struck by the little robe. Yes. That there's something so evocative about this. I think, and as also, I mean, I've just recently weaned my own daughter, you know, so the idea of this small garment, you know, it just strikes me with his vulnerability of both, you know, not just the, the linen ephod, which, you know, communicates a certain sacredness of his work, his ministering, but the tiny robe (laughs) kind of got my heartstrings there where I was like, oh, can you imagine leaving him, you know, at that young age? And not knowing what his daily life was like. So yeah. I just picked up, you know, Junia from preschool. She has a, a life there yeah. that I'm not fully, you know, part of. And I, I can't imagine for Hannah what that might have been like. Yeah. Oh, that's one of my favorite moments in scripture. It's just that his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him every year. I mean, it's just like every every parent of the room is just like, oh, I'm melting at that point. <laughs> I can't get out of my head like the the scene in Harry Potter where uh, Mrs. Weasley makes a Christmas sweater yeah, each year for her right. children, each of her children, including right. Harry in that particular year as right. a surrogate child. But that sense of like every year she would bring him, yeah. you know, the next size up or whatever, like yeah. a little a little robe to to keep him warm. I was just thinking about the materiality of it yeah. too, like the, the like just the there's just something so common about this. Like every parent knows that, you know, around Christmas, you, you get kind of give new clothes because the kids are literally growing out of them. And so there is something about this passage that is very real, yes. uh, you know, and resonant with regular human life. It is. And I feel like that's one of the things that even in this itty bitty passage could be a really sweet preaching point, which is just this concept of um, the ways we are able to show up for each other and, and sometimes in ways that maybe aren't our ideal way of showing up, but we still show up for each other. Does she wish she could have been there more with him? Does, does he wish his mom would have been around more? You know, we, we don't have any answers to those questions, but we do know that when she was able to show up for him, she showed up. And mm-hmm. and what would a sermon like that be about just what does it look like to be present for each other in whatever way we can, especially after a time period when we've been around lots of family and maybe haven't been present in the way we've wanted to be, but we've still shown up. You know, what does a sermon look like that kind of takes that angle of it? Uh, or even in a year where <clears throat> the idea of showing up is fraught because mm-hmm. of a disease or, you know, of a, of a sickness that's passing and we're not sure, you know, so there's this sense of, of, of maybe being absent where you'd like to be present, mm-hmm. you know, um, or absenting oneself to protect another, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, Hannah's both presence and absence in Samuel's life allows him to serve and become who we, you know, know in this text. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's the human sense of this too and the movement through festivals where we're 
part of each other's lives in ways that we're not on a daily level. So there's something special about this moment. And this particular Christmas that I'm thinking of, you know, with the, with the background of so much uncertainty Mm. in terms of where we're going, you Mm -hmm. know, I I don't know. Mm -hmm. I do. I do. There's just another um, little note about this that I find so very delightful. Um, Bring it. Which is that, so in the beginning of the story, the story begins with family tension because Hannah has a sister wife or she has a, Elkanah has another wife. So there's a tension there in that relationship based on the relationship that Elkanah has with each of his wives, but also their children that they are or are not able to produce. Mm -hmm. And here, there's no other wife. At, At this point in the story, she's kind of disappeared and... There's all sorts of feminist critique we could do with that. But what I found fascinating is is the just the spotlight that is on Hannah in these couple of verses. So it starts off with Samuel ministering, but then it talks about what his mother made for him and then where she would go with him with her husband. And then Eli would give them a blessing, but the blessing is for the gift that Hannah made to the Lord, not that y'all together made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's just a real kind of beautiful spotlight on this woman's agency and and position which has been totally flipped from what it was before. They uh, like the other thing that I was really struck by in the Hebrew too is so when Tim read the translation I'm this is from the JPS, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I also have the NRSV open in front of me, right? And so the word loan is there in the JPS. Mm-hmm. It's gift yeah. in the NRSV, right? So, and I was looking at the Hebrew and I'm like, there's so much wordplay that's going mm-hmm. on here between asking, requesting, giving, being granted, you know, and so there's this beautiful back and forth that in yeah. this maybe season of gift giving of, of what we've received yeah. and then also what we're giving, you know, and this back and forth of relationship in yeah. which we, you know, we, give things and we receive things at the same time. And there's this idea of maybe we're loaning this for a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really still also partially mine. So there's this, yeah. there's this thing that's between us, you know? And so S- Samuel is a gift mm-hmm. and he's also, he's a gift that's been given. And then he continues to be this kind of, you know, marker for Hannah of God's graciousness, yeah. you know, generosity and also Hannah's yeah. graciousness and generosity. I mean, the on the part of all mothers who or parents just looking at what Hannah is doing every year yeah. in both celebrating the gift that she's been giving and at the same time giving it back, you know. And yeah. so, I mean, for those of us that are parents, I think there's also that sense that that is exactly what raising kids is. Mm. It's she's both mine and then not totally not mine. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's another way that this little snippet kind of adds quite a lot to the story because you could read the earlier part of this story through from a perspective that sees Hannah kind of using this pregnancy and birth of Samuel instrumentally for her own gain, her own status, Mm -hmm. as if you know, just just give me a son, I'll just I'll drop him off at the temple, (laughs) but I won't be barren anymore, right? I'll be a a full woman by the standards of my culture, right? So you could see this whole thing as sort of instrumental. But then when it comes time to drop him off, she says to her husband, well, let's wait until he's weaned. Yeah. Give, give me another, you know, few months, a year, something, just you know, some time with him. And then I'll bring him. I'll fulfill my vow. Mm-hmm. And when she does, she doesn't lose all contact with him. 
She -hmm. continues to visit year after year, bringing gifts. So like that, like you're saying, it's, it's a very touching portrait of the, the love and the contact between this mother and son. Yeah. Well, Hannah is, uh, it's interesting, uh, that you mentioned Rachel Panina, the other wife and how the, the focus in this whole story is really on Hannah. In fact, from a narrative point of view, we get more insight into, um, her, her inner life, her mm-hmm. thoughts, the things she says, her own perspective on the situation than we do any of the other characters, other male characters, you know, right. by the way. Right. So this is really, um, really unusual. And that's probably a good transition then to talking about Hannah's song, that, that mm. beautiful poem, uh, verses one to 10 in chapter two. Let's just throw it open. Like, what do you all see in this? What's going on here that struck you as you were looking at it? Rosie, you mentioned as we were getting ready for this, that the Hebrews a little, um, it's, it's, it's on a different level from some of the, the surrounding prose, you might say. Right. I mean, I struggled as I was looking at this. I was like, I keep having to look up stuff or, you know, and then forms like, why is it in, you know, why does it, why is this in the Hippel? Why is this in, why is this passive maybe? But I mean, the thing that's, first of all, on the top level that struck me is this, this imagery is so forceful and so Mm. fierce, right? Mm. And the gamut of what she's talking about. So she begins by saying, my heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in God. My mouth derides my enemies. And so the imagery in the Hebrew is her mouth is open wide, like slavering (laughs) jaws of a lion, you know? And I was like, Whoa, it's an opening image, you know, of, of this like wide open mouth laughing, yeah. you know, and, and there's a there's a violent fierceness to this that I am really kind of struck by and su- all over again, surprised by. Mm. And I rejoice in my victory. So there's a the sound of a military, you know, like almost of an army coming forth from this woman. And so like, that's quite an opening salvo, you know, on the heels (laughs) of having birthed this child or what this child means, but also the idea that she's juxtaposing this birth for her is just as is on par Mm. with a military victory or with the, like the idea of an animal opening its jaws, Mm. like as in that opening roar, you know, as they're about to charge, Mm. you know, and I'm just like, Girl. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yes. It's just like if you're thinking about character too, it's like you're this is not some, you know, crying in the corner, yeah. you know, somebody who's like just coming off of, you know, just she's huge. Yeah. She's she's just a huge character with a lot of personality and she's thoughtful, so she's drawing from real life and then putting her position her her life and her yeah. struggle right in parallel yeah. with with what is going on in Israel's national picture. You know, like that's right. huge. Well, and not only that, but she's also kind of putting herself in parallel with a kingly figure. Because a lot of times when when these songs of rejoicing over battles are sung, they're sung by a kingly figure. And she's like, you know what, King, take a back seat for a minute. Because this, <laughs> what just happened to me, is on par with that, as you said. And that's... Yeah. That's huge. I mean, just to interject with like a little uh, source critical analysis here, it's it's pretty much universally recognized within biblical scholarship that this poem wasn't original to the right. book of Sam, the narrative part of Samuel here, but that it was put here after the fact by by an editor at some stage. And um, you can you can read that a couple ways. You can read it as oh, well, let's deconstruct, then like take these apart. But 
I, I like to see that as at some point in the history of the composition of this text, somebody had this poem that thought this fits perfectly yeah, right here. Exactly. So interestingly, it probably originally was a royal psalm. Yeah. Like a, in the voice of yeah, the king. That makes sense. And it was recycled, repurposed here. In yes. Hannah's voice. Sit, sit down, King. <laughs> Someone else is going <laughs> to sing this song. <laughs> and, and I love, Rosie, that you brought out the, the gaping mouth. I mean, that's, that's yeah. literally in the text, right? Rahav mm-hmm. P. Yeah. My mm-hmm. mouth yeah. is wide. And, and you in can't addition see it, to sort listeners, of. Listeners, but all of us are going, ah, with huge yeah. jaws right now. <laughs> Th- that's a great image because in the narrative part of the text, Hannah's struggled to find a voice, right? Like she's mumbling silently. No sound is coming out of her mouth. And Eli thinks she's drunk. And that whole Mm -hmm. interchange happens where she's just trying to like find her place within her society. But because she's a barren woman, she has no standing. She has no voice. And once the, once the gift of God comes and this child comes, it's like, that roar that her mouth opens, her heart yeah. leaps out, and it's this ah, here I I am Hannah, I am woman, hear me roar. Yeah, here right. <laughs> it's it's awesome. I'm getting chills just yeah. thinking too about the tradition of of women's victory songs too. I, mm. I'm thinking of Deborah. Yeah. I'm thinking of Miriam. Miriam. Yes. Yeah. And I'm thinking of like a chorus of, yeah. of voices of women who are, you know, even if it's an insertion, to me, there's a community that's saying, this is what these women sound like as we look back on them. This is this is the kind of roar they make through our tradition. This is how, you know, we, we want to underscore their voices. And within their tradition, there's this canonical kind of, uh, I don't know what it is, emphasis, exclamation yeah. around these women's lives and their struggles. They're not just hidden in the shadows. These are part and parcel with the story of Israel. Yeah. As much as any of our kings. Yes. Well, and I think, I mean, just to just to kind of bring that full circle, another really beautiful thing that comes out of that composition theory of this is most likely scribes were men. And so what's really beautiful about this is that means when someone put this song here in this woman's mouth, it was a man being like, you know what? This is what she should sound like. She should sound like our kings. And I just think that's a really important testament to what it's like when men act like feminists and when men lift up women's voices. And here we see it kind of in the text. Probably can't make it into a sermon, but I think that's really cool. Hey, I'll, I'll add a cheer for male allyship. All Amen. right. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And, and uh, just to put an exclamation point on this, one of my favorite verses in it is uh, down in verse 9 which I, I hope we'll come back to again mm-hmm. for another part of it. But the first part of it, uh, the Hebrew is mm-hmm. the, the feet or the steps or the pathways of the chasidav, uh, God's um, faith, the ones who participate in God's faithfulness. And that, that could be this community of, of women that we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, God will guard their steps, will watch, mm-hmm. their, watch over their path. But the, the wicked, the rasha'im, it says, Bechoshek, in darkness, yidamu, they will be silenced. Yeah. Oh, nice. They will be silenced. Mm. So there's, there's a, the whole poem is a big reversal. We'll talk about yeah. that, I'm sure. But here is kind of the exclamation point on it, that those who have been bombastic become silenced, and the one who's been silent finds her voice. Mm. I think that's, that's a really beautiful moment in the poem. Yeah. 
What else did you see in the text that was was preaching worthy? Well, we haven't really touched on this theme of reversal. I mean, mm. we touched on it, but not really kind of gone into the like the deep dive that this poem takes on, you know, the flip, 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 flip over and over again. Yeah. yeah. What, what what are some of those flips? The bows of the mighty are broken in verse four. The faltering are girded with strength. Men once sated must hire out for bread. Mm. Men once hungry hunger no more. While the barren woman bears seven the mother of many is forlorn mm. and then there's death and then there's life poor and then rich he casts down he lifts high you know so it's yeah. like back and forth back and forth from the bottom to the top you know and there's something that's about both the the vast gamut of human life mm. and then also the kind of vertical dimension of what's going on with you know between god and humanity yeah. i don't there's just Mm -hmm. I just, I'm so struck by this passage once again. Yeah. And as long as you're reading the JPS, you have to keep going to God lifts up the needy from the dunghill. <laughs> yeah. What an image. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? She's not afraid to use like some pretty, like, I mean, yeah, I don't know if I can use shit here. Yeah. But that's, that's what's going on, right? right? She's saying like, yeah, you think that's shitty. Like here, here's what God does, you know, can pull you out of that dump. Yeah. Right. But then the third piece of that verse is for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them God has set the world, which is a fascinating way to end reversal because mm -hmm. you would expect the world turned upside down. But it's almost like the world already is upside down. And what God is doing in this process of reversal is setting it right, is setting it where the pillars are supposed to be. That'll preach. Yeah. 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 There you go. <laughs> I love the idea of God making things right, yeah. right? Because there is just sort of a sometimes a sense of helplessness, and that's maybe only appropriate to our position. We don't have the power to do these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. We can hope, we can pray, we can imagine they'll happen in our own lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, but this is a prayer that rings for all of us that are experiencing need, you know, or vulnerability this year, or just, mm -hmm. you know, sitting close with our inability to change some things in our own lives or in the lives of others or in our congregations or mm. in our families, you know, and so there's, it's not up to us in the end. Hannah is saying yeah. it's, it's, it's God. Absolutely. Can I, I want to throw on a pitfall here, mm. preaching pitfall. Mm. I really love the potency of this reversal of fortunes theme. And it's, you guys know, this is a big theme throughout the scriptures and especially in the poetry of the scriptures and the Psalms, like reversal of fortunes comes up over and over and over. Mm -hmm. You also have to be careful when you're preaching it, not to um, generalize it in a way that makes it sound like you're saying to your congregation, Hey, God will make sure everything always works out. You know, like mm. it's all going to be fine. You know, anything that you're experiencing now where you feel like put down, God's going to raise, raise you up and all of your financial failures, you're going to end up being successes. And mm. you don't want to um, put blame on those whose circumstances aren't changing for the better <laughs> yeah, or make them feel like they're missing out on some sort of ethereal blessing that everybody else is getting. You want to just make sure that you acknowledge that this is a theological statement about what God's about in general, mm -hmm. making the world right. But that doesn't mean that you can expect that every circumstance that you face is going to turn out good for you yeah. by, by your evaluation of it, just because, you know, Hannah's singing a song about it. I think that's a really worthy point to lift up. And I wonder if, if then sitting in that literary context can help ground us in a place that, that keeps us a little bit away from that pitfall because Hannah's singing this out of a, 
a position where you got to think she's not happy to be leaving or some part of her isn't happy to be leaving her son behind. So even though she's singing about this great reversal, her life still doesn't necessarily reflect the fullness of that, even if for a moment it reflects a piece of that. And perhaps mm -hmm. that's a way to, to contextualize this song in a way that would help. What do you think? Yeah, I actually, one of the preaching pitfalls that I was thinking about with this text is for people that struggle with, for instance, barrenness yeah. or infertility and seeing Hannah, uh, I don't know, exonerated or blessed in this way can make you feel your own pain more acutely mm -hmm. in that, you know, mm -hmm. you sort of see that. But that is a reality of the holidays too, and yeah. Instagram culture and <laughs> Facebook culture, where you see, you know, maybe a Hannah rejoicing over the birth of their child. But, you know, what it can do is underscore the pain of some of our congregations to just simply be about like the joy and celebration of the holidays mm. without without also acknowledging that many people are not feeling that <laughs> or are feeling a mix of that. That's a preaching pitfall that I've always felt with the Hannah song, people that don't experience family mm. this way either. Mm -hmm. For women that have given up children for adoption or for women that have adopted, mm -hmm. you know, like there's something here for them mm -hmm. uh, in the story. And I'm glad you're bringing out that Hannah's celebration is not all joy. <laughs> There's a real struggle yeah. in even her, you know, in this firstborn. Mm -hmm. uh, Samuel's life certainly doesn't go straight. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> can you imagine? I, and, and then when we think about Luke and Jesus and Mary and, you yeah. know, all of all of us that sometimes watch really hard things, in it, even in the midst of being given that thing that we most desired, is the pain of being given that thing you've most desired, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's not something you can control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, another thing that might be exegetically helpful here in Hannah's situation, she, she's experienced this little personal reversal, this, this victory in her life, but in the, in the poem, in the song, she frames it as uh, that it's not just about her, that this is something that's about God and about God's people as a whole. Mm -hmm and sets it in that communal context. We've mentioned that a couple of times, but it's worth really emphasizing that, that she sees what's going on with the, the birth of this particular child as being about what God's doing on a bigger scale among the people as a whole. Mm -hmm. And that same idea is echoed in Mary's Magnificat, that, uh, you know, she's, she's experienced a pregnancy, and, and yet this is about God being faithful to the people as a whole. Like, mm -hmm. God's about something bigger here. The other uh, little pitfall here related to this theme of the reversal of fortunes, and, and maybe I come to this more naturally as a, as a white male reader, there's this urge to always automatically side with those who get elevated in the story. Yeah, like right. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm one of the lowly who God's going <laughs> to elevate and you know put up on this with the princes, right? But <laughs> I think it's important to also read this looking for the places where we might see ourselves among the high and mighty who need to get brought down so yeah. that the lowly can be elevated. And that, that, mm. that gives another sort of way to read the text. Yeah, that was certainly like one of the points that I, I thought you were underscoring too is for American congregations. That is a, the, the movement from independence and from uh, individual celebration of, you know, particular accomplishments mm -hmm. that we want to make versus connecting that to a community mm -hmm. and being able to say, how does how does this maybe individual thing that I'm so thrilled about connect to a larger whole? I think as Americans, it's always a challenge to kind of see ourselves as part 
of that larger mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and always a good thing for American congregation to be pushed a little bit to be like individual happiness versus like communal wholeness, goodness, mm-hmm. you know, reparations, like that kind of thing where it does this does this make my community more whole, more safe, more mm-hmm. loving, more generous? Like how, how do these things that are you know going well in my life contribute to that? Absolutely. Well, how about preaching angles? Was there anything that stuck out to you in particular that was like, you know what, this is the preaching point I would take? The one that I was uh, really kind of struck by is the, the way, the wordplay of the word ask, you know, mm, that yeah. Sha'al, that keeps coming. It was really resonating for me as, you know, what am I asking for in this season? What have I received? Mm. What am I being asked to give? Mm. What am I being asked to give up? You know, and so the the word it's being given, receiving, asking, petitioning, you know, all of those synonyms that are, I don't know, they were being played with throughout this, this narrative in ways that I couldn't ignore for my own life. Yeah. You know, which is like, what am I being asked of in this season? Mm. What am I being asked to give up in particular? I think especially becoming a new mom mm. and thinking about, you know, thinking about that over this last year, a lot that's gone on yeah. in this year. So maybe it's a moment for reflection for both gratitude and also mourning. So that's, to me, the angle that I would take on on these passages. That's a really timely angle, too, because this will be right around the new year when people think about the last year and reflect on it and and start to think about moving forward, what is being asked of them, what's being asked to give up. So uh, mm-hmm. that just could be a really nice angle into this text. Yeah. I ask myself when I read this poem, like, what's the call here? What's the invitation? One of the big points of the poem, and really in this whole section of the book of Samuel in the Bible, is this invitation to put trust in God. Mm-hmm. That finding success is not about uh, asserting personal ambition. And that's where I, I come back to verse nine again, which has mm-hmm. sort of been my landing point in this in this poem. The last the last little uh, line in verse nine says, mm-hmm. ish. Oh, do that again one more time. That's so pretty. Mm-hmm. Ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, a person doesn't succeed. Achieve achieve success. Uh, the the verb yigbar is related to the noun gibor, which is sort of like a yeah the strong a hero. Man. Yeah, yeah. The, the strong guy. Yeah, in in modern Hebrew, it's the word for a superhero. Like <laughs> you don't you don't achieve yeah. heroic status. You don't you don't become a hero. You don't gain power through acts of personal ambition. It's mm-hmm. the ones who are people of chesed with God. God watches over their paths. God, God takes care of them. God supervises their future. And it's the ones who are struggling to assert their own ambition that get brought down. Hmm. One of the themes in the whole section of Samuel is how God is able to bring about the divine will without people trying to bring it about by their own personal ambition. For it is not by acts of might that one becomes a superhero. There's almost this like this weaving of a theme that's going on here between her song and her act, which is, um, if not a template for us, maybe some inspiration for us in, in the new year. Well, we, we envisioned this as a party episode, right? And <laughs> it really has been a party, hasn't it? Absolutely. I love this. Yeah. I've, I 
feel inspired personally. Yeah. I mean, I'm just sort of like, ooh. Well, that sounds like a fantastic place to wrap it up. Friends, we hope that you found something worthwhile to preach in this conversation. It sure was fun for us, and we hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you, as always, to Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University for a generous grant. Thank you to those of you who are listening. And let us know. Give us some feedback. Send us an email, firstreadingpodcast at gmail.com, or talk to us on the website or on Facebook. We'd love to get some feedback. Until next time, I'm Dr. Rachel Wren. I'm Rosie Canethel. And I'm Tim McNinch. Happy Christmas to you all. What's the what's the line from the Muppets? That would be a good one. Something the dreamers and me. Or oh, the oh. lovers, the dreamers and me. <laughs> I think that would be the perfect intro. The Old Testament lectionary podcast for, for lovers, lovers, lovers the dreamers, dreamers and, and me. If you haven't tuned out already, <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic.